podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to your first Reds Review podcast for the season 2021. My name is Mark Roberts. I'm your new host for this season. You can find me on Twitter at Harry Welshie if you want to. And as you already know, this is our first season as defending Premier League champions. I'm delighted to welcome my guest for my first show, the former Cardiff, West Ham, Queen's Park Rangers and Crystal Palace. And more as a proud Welshman Wales defender, Danny Gabadon. Danny, how are you doing? Mark, I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me on. How are you doing? Very good, mate. Very good. Delighted and honoured that you joined me for my first podcast. Thank you very much. As a proud Welshman, it's great. <laughs> what's, what's, that, what's that Twitter name again? Harry what? Harry, Harry Welshie. <laughs> yes, don't, don't ask. An old nickname from an old work job and oh, right, just okay. never got round to changing it. it. So, yes, <laughs> it has. I think it's there for life now. It's Love it. Love but it. never mind. Never mind. So I've got to start by asking, so why did you first become a Liverpool fan then? Um, I don't know, you know. It's, it's a hard one to, to answer. Um, but I've I've just always supported them from a kid. I don't know whether it was kind of, you know, back in back in the day when um, there wasn't so much kind of football on the TV when you did see the odd game. Um, I think they were probably the first team I kind of saw playing on the TV. So I think it kind of went from there. Um, as a kid, I used to kind of wear all different kinds of football kits and stuff. But, you know, Liverpool were the team that I always supported. And I can only think it was maybe from that, really, kind of seeing them play on the TV. I took an instant kind of liking to them. Um, as, as a kid, kind of John Barnes was also one of my kind of idols kind of growing up when I was getting into football and stuff as well. And I've just always, always liked them. Um, it's funny, actually, because a few weeks ago, um, I went to my mum's house um, in Wales uh, when the lockdown kind of lifted and stuff. And she still got all my old kind of Liverpool kits in, in, in her bedroom. So she, she gave them to me to take back home. And uh, she gave me um, one of the first kits I had was the, do you remember that uh, when we were sponsored by Candy, the red candy? I do, with yeah. The little kind of triangle, a little like pattern in it. I um, do. I think that's one of the first ones I remember. Yeah. Well. I think that was about around 1990, was it? Yeah, I think 90 so. 90 something yeah. like that, yeah. And, and I had the one just before that when we were sponsored by Crown Paints and I had the the awake, I think it was the white with the red uh, Adidas stripes on the side and that. So um, the, those were the first couple of Liverpool kits that I had and I've still got them. I've, I've got them upstairs in my loft now. So um, so just to prove I am a Liverpool fan, <laughs> some people don't actually believe it, I don't think. They don't understand. But, um, I, won't, they... I won't ask you if they still fit or not. <laughs> uh, we'll leave not, that one. Since, since five years retired from football, they, they definitely, I'm definitely not fitting into them now, no. So, uh, no. But, uh, Fabulous. Well, that's great. I've got to. I'm sorry. I've, I've thrown this one on you. I've got to ask. Obviously, you, you played in the West Ham team in that yeah. 2006 FA Cup final. Oh. So, what was that like? Obviously, playing in a yeah. cup final for the team that 
pay your wages in a team you're obviously loyal <laughs> to, but but up against the team you supported, was there yeah. any sort of joy in you when Gerard thumped that one in in no, the last minute? No, no, there's there's still no joy. Even when I talk about it now, it still hurts me to this day because I thought I thought we had it once. To be honest, with you. I thought we were a better team. I thought we deserved to to win it. But that man, Stephen Gerrard. Um, well, they call it the Gerard Stephen Gerard final, didn't they? Because he, he was so good on the day, he took the cup away from us. But look, it was great for me, um, you know, to get to an FA Cup final as a player. Obviously, it was at the Millennium Stadium um, at the time the FA Cup finals were being played there because Wembley was kind of being built and what have you. Um, and it was against my, you know, the team that I supported from a kid. So it was just like the perfect scenario for me. But it almost, in a way, just made me more determined. I wanted to beat Liverpool, kind of thing. Even though they were the team, yeah. the team I support, I wanted. I just, like, I was even more determined to want to, want to beat them. So um, it was, yeah, I was gutted at the end that we we didn't win. To be honest with you, um, but then seeing like the kind of the the support from both sets of fans and how both sets of fans kind of reacted after the final, you know, after the penalties and stuff, they, they were kind of applauding both teams really because it was one of the the better FA Cup finals. Normally they they can be quite boring, can't they? But that was one of the better ones. So I think both sets of fans kind of appreciate that. And it's probably the only time I've kind of cried after a game of football. I've always <laughs> never understood people that kind of cry when they lose or things happen. But that was the, the first time that I kind of ever cried after a football match, just the kind of the way the game went, really, because we just felt that we... Uh, we, we should have won it, really. So, yeah, yeah. I can imagine, yeah, be it, obviously beforehand you would have been the underdogs. But, yeah, as you say, you were probably the better team on the day to put in a, a performance like that and have it snatched away from you in the last minute to a goal like that. Yeah. Just, just I know it's a, an impossible question to ask almost. Do you think if that goal would have happened maybe 10 minutes earlier, the game could have changed? But with it literally happening in the last kick of the game, it just flattened you that bit more, maybe? Yeah, I think, the biggest goal uh, was the one that Liverpool got before half time because we went two 0 up. We, you know, we we started like a house on fire, went two 0 up, and I thought, you know, if we got into the uh, half time uh, into the dressing room at half time and two 0 up still, I think maybe then I think we might have been able to hold on in in normal time. But you got one, Cisse got one back just before half time, and right after half time, Gerrard scored a ridiculous second goal as well, which kind of gets forgotten. Um, I think Crouch nodded one down and he's hit like a half volley in the top corner. <laughs> that was like two all. Obviously, then we, we got back in again. And um, yeah, when I saw, when I nodded the, the ball down um, edge of the 18-yard box, I thought, OK, I've not done too bad with that. And then I saw Stephen Gerrard <laughs> running on. So I knew that we were half being in trouble because he's such a, obviously, brilliant striker of the football, you know, technically so good. Um, and he's absolutely smashed it from all of what thirty-five yards plus, and it's, it's gone in the bottom corner. So you just knew as soon as he hit it, and I turned around, I just knew. I just thought, you know, that's got a chance here. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think that the key goal was the the one that Liverpool got for half time, more yeah. so than maybe if they scored ten minutes earlier. I think if we'd gone in half time two 0 I think we would have maybe would have held on to because we were defending fairly well. Um, but that goal kind of killed us just for half time. So, um, and as you know, then it goes to penalties. And, um, you know, we were very inexperienced in that situation. We'd never been in that situation before. Liverpool had a goalkeeper in Pepe Rain who was a bit of a, you know, a, an expert at saving penalties. And you're a lot more experienced um, 
dealing with those situations and it kind of showed really with the penalties so um no it wasn't wasn't to be in the end so uh, no but as you say it was a fantastic game but i shall leave it i won't put put you through any more of that horror (laughs) thank you mate (laughs) uh so just again before we get started on the the four out of four wins we had in september i just wanted a quick chat about empty stadiums really and have you ever had to experience playing in an empty stadium and do you think that's having an impact on results and there's certainly a lot more goals at the start yeah. of the season than we've ever seen before. Yeah, um, I think it certainly has an effect on on performance. Um, I've never had to play in um, you know a, a proper competitive game um, behind closed doors that I can think of. But you know sometimes you know you play like reserve games and things like that, or you know you're playing under twenty threes games when there's you know one man and his dog there. It, that's the only thing I can kind of compare it to really, and, and it yeah. is weird. It is really weird. You know, even myself now kind of doing a lot of kind of football commentating and stuff, going to the games and having to even do that side of things where there's not fans in the stadium has, has been really hard to kind of get used to and adapt to. And and you ask any player, um, you know, they thrive off the crowd atmosphere, um, you know, getting you up for games, whether you might be having a bit of a poor game individually and you hear a fan kind of get on your back, whether you've scored a goal and the, the fans are getting behind you and acknowledging that whether you're not playing well and the fans are letting you know, um, you know, they, they give you an extra three, four, five kind of percent um, at certain points in games and stuff. Um, and it just all seems very flat at the minute. You know, some of the performances have been flat, I think, um, as you said, uh, maybe the game's not meaning as much to players. I don't know. You see lots of goals going in, um, some strange results, you know, the tempo of the games, maybe not, um, as fast as we're kind of used to, and, and that's all has a big part to do with with the fans not being in the stadium. They do play a massive part in injecting energy into games, injecting you know tempo. Um, as I said, communicating with the players and and letting them know if they're doing well or not, and just you know you getting that lift and stuff, or you you know you know you have to kind of raise your game and stuff because you know the fans do kind of spur you on we've seen it so many times from from the Liverpool crowd when when the Liverpool play uh, players play at Anfield so hopefully we can get them back into the stadium as quick as possible um you know the government are making it a little bit difficult at the minute um so hopefully maybe something can change now in the next couple of weeks and you know we can start getting fans back into the stadium because they do play they do play a massive part in proceedings here yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I've read, and obviously you'll know more as as a player, that in some players might actually find it easier. Like, if you're like the non-fan favourites, that the crowd are sometimes on their back, that they'll play with a bit more freedom and, and not have to worry about the crowd getting on their back and the howlers. Like, you can just imagine, obviously, we'll get onto the Chelsea game, Kepa making a howler like that, that if the yeah. Liverpool fans were behind him, they would have just been all over him and probably the Chelsea fans, to be fair. So maybe in some circumstances it can be beneficial, but I definitely think it is having an impact on on games in general. And Liverpool, I think a lot of people have said, may be affected by it the most just because of how passionate Anfield can be. So, but... Who knows, who knows? And then obviously you've got the, the new handball rule that's giving oh penalties galore and, and things like that. It's, oh. I know. it's. I mean, some of them, yeah, we're all Liverpool fans here. And if your club benefits from it, you've got your club blinkers on, haven't you? But some of them have been it's controversial, to say the least. I think the, the Eric Dyer one's the one that stands out most to me. His hands are up in the air, as they are when you jump in. So 
obviously, as a centre-back yourself, if one was given away like that against you, you'd be livid, I would imagine. Oh, I, I'm glad I'm retired. I'm, I'm glad I'm retired, Matt, because I, I just couldn't stand for what I'm seeing, the way the game's kind of going with these rule changes. You know, VAR last season, how bad that was with certain decisions that... You know, they, they changed the handball rule almost to kind of complement VAR coming in. And you know, it's hard enough as a defender as it is, but you know, it just seems like they're making the game more and more favourable to kind of attackers. You know, see the defenders now you can't hold in the box anymore. You can't tackle from behind. If you if you get a tackle wrong in a one-on-one situation, it's a straight red. And now, you know, now they're changing this kind of handball rule, which is just ridiculous. Because as you said, as a defender, you have to be able to use your arms for balance. You know, if you're running back, your arms are always away from your body. If you're jumping, your arms are in the air. Um, so they're almost asking defenders now to do all these things, you know, defend with your arms behind your back, which is just absolutely, it's nonsensical, really. So, um, you know, something's going to have to change with this in the next couple of weeks. Cause you're going to see, like, you're going to see 10, 15 penalties, I think, every weekend. You're going to see teams now maybe targeting defender's arms and saying look if you get in the box you know just just flip the ball up against his arm and, and you'll get a penalty they'll, they'll come into things tactically with teams now as well I think so you know they're definitely going to have to change this now over the next couple of weeks because you know you see the way people reacted to it kind of last weekend uh, managers, players, even some referees coming out saying it's ridiculous as well so you know they're going to have to do something about that because it's just making a, it's making a farce of the game really so they've gone a little bit too far with this one it definitely is. As you say, the, the rule at the moment seems that if a ball has struck the hand, they, they're giving the penalty and there's no context sort of taken into it where the hand is placed, which is what they'll they'll say the AR was brought in for, like like your offside decisions, etc. That's that can't be done on a contextual basis. It is just simply your offside or onside. And now it seems if the ball hits your hand, it's handball, regardless of what else yeah. you're doing or what position yeah. your hand Distance is. Distance or not, yeah. But again, the other the other problem you've got, I heard on, I think it was on Talksport this week, that them saying if they do change it now, you'll run the risk then of the clubs that have already suffered from it, like Tottenham. I know very very much doubt Tottenham would struggle for relegation, <laughs> etc. But if they're a couple of points off the Champions League at the end of the season, they'll go back to that dire one and say, well, if the rule was changed before then, so. I hope they do change it, but I don't know if they will because of mm. the decisions that have already gone. They they almost oh, needed to be a level playing field all season. They have to. They have to change it. They can't keep this the same. I, I don't think Tottenham would moan too much about it if it if it was changed. Look, because you know the rule was the same for everybody then. If you change it now, the rules could be the same for everybody now. So yeah, I, true. I, I, I know. I, I I know. Obviously, some teams have got away with it, and others haven't. But I think generally every team would like this rule changed um, and, and as quick as possible. I don't think you can leave this exactly the same for the whole season. Or if you do, you have to say to referees, look, you have to show some kind of um, common sense here. If it hits the hand, you go and look at the monitor. If he's a yard away from him and he can't do nothing about it or he's not looking um, and it hits his arm, show some common sense and just say, no, it's not a penalty. Um, I think that's the way they probably have to go. Whether they change the rule totally, they probably won't. But it might just be where they have a word to the referees and say, look, you you know, go to the monitor, have a look at it and, and just show a bit of common sense with it. You know, if he's if the player's a yard away and he's hit his hand and he can't do nothing about it, then show some common sense and just say, look, no, no, that one's not a penalty. Um, and maybe that's the way it'll, it'll go now. 
moving forward for the rest of the season. But it, it can't stay the way it is because it's, it's it's just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous what's going on. It is, but the, the talk of penalties brings us nicely into our first game of the season, which was the home win, the 4-3 against Leeds. I don't think really many people had complaints about either penalties, although I've seen the first one because it took a slight defection off his knee, but I think his hand was far enough out away there to give back. But again, maybe that's my Liverpool Ooh, blinkers on it. Maybe that is my Liverpool blinkers on there. Okay, I'm a Liverpool fan. I don't think that was a belly. Maybe it's because I'm a central defender or was a central yeah. defender. I'm part of the defenders' union. I don't know. But I just think for that, you know, it hits up off his thigh and hits his hand. Like, he doesn't mean that. And like, as I say, your arm's not going to be by your side in that kind of position. You, you know, you're getting ready so that the ball's coming across you. It's just natural for your arms to be slightly out and you, you're in a bit of a, you know, you're just getting ready for the ball that's coming in. So I think, you know, I thought that, you know, he doesn't mean that. For me, that's that's not a penalty. But look, I'm, as a Liverpool fan, I'll take it all day. Of course, you? yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought he was unlucky. Unlucky with that, I thought. Fair enough. But it was a, an exciting start to the season, should we say. So, from my point of view, we had obviously Norwich at the start of last season, the promoted team. But to me, Leeds, that was one of the worst times you could play them, really. First game up after they've just been promoted. So obviously their tails will be up, the TV cameras are there, everybody's watching, hoping and waiting for the upset, really. And they were certainly up for the game and they really impressed me. I thought they were a very good side and threatened and challenged Liverpool, probably more than any other team has so far this season. They were they were they were very good. I was I was very impressed with Leeds and um you know they look like the team uh, from the three that have gone up from the championship that are going to be the best equipped as to stay in the Premier League. I think that the football that they play is actually more suited to the Premier League than actually the championship. Um and I think they showed that. Um they showed no fear coming to the champions. Um they they went after Liverpool. You know, you see a lot of teams come and shut up shop and try and make it difficult, but they did the complete opposite. You know, they they, they played their football. Um, you know, they respected Liverpool, but didn't fear them at all. Um, caused them all kinds of problems. And I think, as you say, I think you don't want to really be playing a, a promoted team start of the season because their tails are up. You know, they're still full of energy and, and still, you know, on, on riding the crest of a wave from promotion. But I think, the opposite as well. Um, from a Leeds point of view, you actually want to play one of the big boys early because it, it tends to take a little bit of time for the bigger teams to kind of get up and run in. And it was uh, it was a, just a crazy game, absolute crazy game um, for Liverpool to to get the win um, at the end. Um, I thought they were a little bit fortunate, really. You know, got that penalty at the end and and got the three points. But but credit to Leeds the way they played. Um, you know, tactically, I thought at times they were very good. How they kind of outnumbered Liverpool's midfield, uh, how they counter-attacked. Um, they really did drag Liverpool's midfield and defence all over the place at times. Um, but obviously in doing that, they left themselves very open as well. Um, and Liverpool were able to kind of exploit that as well. So um, that's the problem Leeds will probably have you know, throughout the season when they come up against the bigger sides playing that way. Because these bigger teams have the quality to hurt them back on the counter-attack and the spaces that they leave. They'll, they'll concede a few goals, but they'll certainly... They're going to cause a few teams a few problems going forward as well and going to score plenty of goals themselves. So I was just delighted that we, we got the three points because uh, uh, we, we made it difficult for ourselves. 
We did, and as you said, Bielsa's one of the well-known managers across the world. He's a well-renowned coach. He certainly had done his homework on Liverpool and knew when to sort of what, when and what areas to attack them in. And as you said there, I think they will cause a lot of teams a lot of problems this year. I certainly don't think they'll be anywhere near no. what Fulham and West Brom are currently doing. I think they're, they're odds on to go back down at the moment. But no, I think Leeds will certainly have a, the best season of the three that came up and will challenge. But thankfully, we did get the win. Mo, again... The saviour, if you like it. I don't know what it is. I, he's got such a good record from us from the penalty spot, but I'm just never, ever mm. convinced before he steps up to take it. I <laughs> no. don't know what it is about him, but it just it just worries me when he takes them, yeah. but it shouldn't anymore. He scored yeah. in the Champions League final, but that first one, good God, he just put his foot straight through oh, yeah. it, didn't he? And the keeper yeah. had no chance. And the second one sent the keeper the wrong way. It's... Yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean with him and penalties because I don't know what it is. He, he just looks a bit awkward when he takes them. They never really go in the corner. Do you know what I mean? He, he doesn't really look like a, a penalty kind of specialist, but you look at his record and you have to say that he is because he doesn't really miss many. But you know, certainly as well, having two in one game, that's difficult. When you've got the second one, knowing what to do with the second one because you've already scored one, it is never easy. But And especially when it's, you know, pretty much to win the game really there wasn't much time after that so you know you have to score so um we should in mo in mo we trust it should be really because he, he doesn't miss too many but i just think is it the run-up i don't know like like i say when he hits them they tend to not really ever find the, you know the side netting or the corners and stuff so you always think mm, i'm not sure but no but look, it's... We, we can't doubt him can we his record's very good so no, and maybe that helps. Maybe it is the, the unorthodox run-up, if you like, that confuses the keeper. But even yeah. that one back in the Champions League final, yeah. it, it wasn't. A, it it scored, so it's a great penalty, but it wasn't, no. in terms of penalties, a good penalty. The best one I can remember was the Arsenal game last year where he did put it in the top corner. Yeah. But again, they put the graphics up on Sky whenever you get a penalty of where, where they've put them and if they've scored on it. And his are literally all over the place. Yeah. He does go left, right, down the middle, high, low. So I don't think the yeah. keeper has a clue what I he's going to do. Have to, I think you have to, Mark, these days because the the preparation that goes into games now, goalkeepers, you know, they, they watch, you know, they would have watched, you know, Salah's last five, six, seven penalties um, on, on the iPad a couple of days before they ever leading up to the game. So, you know, the, the depth of knowledge now that these goalkeepers have about penalty takers and where their last five or six penalties go, you know, some keepers you see it's written down on their water bottle and stuff like that. Or So, you know, as soon as it's a penalty, they know exactly maybe that where the last time Mo Salah stuck his penalty in. So they've got more of a chance now of, of saving them. So I think you have to be that way now. You have to mix things up. You can't keep going to the same side. You have to be kind of creative with your run-ups and things like that to just try and put keepers off because... As I said, they have a lot more knowledge now than they did back in the day as to to where these penalties are going and stuff. So it, it has made it more difficult for, for the penalty taker to score, yeah. Definitely. So that was a, a, a nervy, if you like, opening day win, but it got the three points. And then we moved on to another, on paper, a very tricky game. But again, I think with the Leeds one, I think the timing of this actually benefited us. Chelsea had a couple of injuries for their new players. And again, with the amount that they bought in, as you said, with the top teams taking a few a few games, a few weeks to bed in, I think it, it probably was a good time to play Chelsea and a good, solid 2-0 away win back to the sort of Liverpool of the start of last year, if you like. Ruthless, dominant, 
no real threat from Chelsea other than the penalty that Alisson saved. And they're the type of games I like <laughs> to keep me nice and calm, <laughs> yeah. a comfortable 2-0 away win. And yeah, to get one of the big six away from home out the way early and get the three points on the board, just it's just magical to say, especially with City dropping points the week after as well. Yeah, that, that was always nice as well. Um, but that, I thought that was a statement kind of performance from Liverpool, a, a performance of champions. And I think maybe the result the week before playing Leeds was, was good as well, because that was a bit of a wake-up call. Uh, what Leeds did to Liverpool. So as a Liverpool player, you were just delighted to get off that pitch with the three points. And I think, you know, after that, then you're thinking, oh, well, we need to liven up a little bit here. We're, we were a little bit off the pace. You know, we got Chelsea coming up next week. We have to be a lot better. So I think playing Leeds probably helped going into that game as well, just to give the, the players a bit of a kick up the, the, the backside, maybe that that they needed. Um, and I, as I said, I thought it was a statement performance. You know, Fabinho coming in at centre-back, Worried me a little bit, but he was absolutely outstanding uh, dropping in there. Um, you know, defensively solid, as you said, dominated the ball for long periods. Obviously, the sending off of Christensen then then helped. Um, you know, the two goals that they scored are fantastic. Obviously, the setup by Firmino, the ball in for Mane with a header. Um, and just uh, an example in the second goal of... What makes Liverpool so good? You know, one of the best teams out of possession, the way they press and, you know, Mane kind of giving the ball away and then his reaction to go and close the keeper down um, and get that goal for himself was was fantastic as well. So um, I was a little bit worried going into the Chelsea games. I thought Chelsea last season were one of the few teams that caused Liverpool a few problems. Um without maybe getting the results as, um, off the back of that. But, but I thought they played some really good football against Liverpool and created some chances against them. We were a little bit unlucky maybe in, in, in a couple of the games. So I was a little bit worried kind of going into it. But but as I said, I thought going to Stamford Bridge, that was just a, it was a statement performance. If anybody was doubting Liverpool and their credentials this season to go again and maybe you know regain the title, I thought that, that, that shut a few people up with a, with a really dominant performance and a you know two nil win, two nil win. Sorry, no, I I fully agree. As you said, a statement performance nails it perfectly. It was we just dominated the game really, and again you can argue that the sending off, but even up until that we were the dominant force yeah. in the game. They they weren't really threatening us, but just to draw back on the again, I agree with you. Fabinho was fantastic, but centre back is one issue mm. if you like amongst us Liverpool fans that as a, a little twitchy. If you like, just obviously we've got Van Dijk, Gomez and Matip as the three senior ones. And the last couple of years, both Gomez and Matip have had a bit of injury problems. Do you think that's an area we need to add another body? Or do you think it's an area we will? Or yeah. does Fabino's performance now pay <laughs> to that, really? I think he probably has. He's played so well. I think Jurgen Klopp probably thinks, you know, I don't need to bring a, another centre-back in. I, I, and I don't think they will. Um, I think you saw than play all last season with only one left back, you know, Andy Robertson. And obviously they they brought someone in, Samikas in now, um, to help him this season. But I think Jurgen Klopp will probably think that's probably our business done, um, which does weigh me a little bit. Because as you said, Joel Matic um, and Joe Gomez, they they do tend to pick up a, you know, a couple of niggles through the season. Um, obviously, Dejan Lovren has, has departed. So you'd think if he's gone, maybe you bring in a, a replacement, but I, I don't think Jurgen Klopp will. Um, I think he'll, you'll think I'll, I'll be able to kind of get through the season with those three centre backs and and probably for being you know, 
uh, dropping in there as, as the fourth choice centre back as and when needed. Um, I think he'll probably think um, that's enough to kind of get through the season. So hopefully, touch wood, you know, they're, they're all able to kind of stay fit. Obviously, Van Dyke is the key one for me. Um, I think if any of the other two or three get injured, you can kind of work around if Van Dyke is still fit. But if, if he was to pick up a knock, um, hence why I was, I couldn't believe he played the other night against Lincoln. I was desperate for him not to play. Um, I know, you and me both. Yeah, he's the one player that you can't replace if he gets injured. I think the others, you can kind of replace them. So, um, But I, I can't see anyone coming in, Mark. No, I can't. I think I think you'll go with what he's got there. I think you're right. I think the only business we'll do now is a few of the fringe players will go. I think yeah. either the, the game against Arsenal, I know Fabinho dropped back into midfield and we'll get that. But you look at what we were missing. We were missing Henderson, Thiago and the Ox that arguably the three of them could be a starter midfield and I don't think anybody would really have issue with that. So I think the the fact that Wijnaldum's staying now and doesn't look like he's going to go to Barca, we do, we do have enough bodies in midfield. I think Fabinho, for me, would be one of the first names on the team sheet in midfield, but I think for the odd game, he is more than capable of dropping back into centre defence and covering, and he proved that against a decent Chelsea team with one of the hottest prospects from Germany last year in Timo Werner up front. He kept yeah. him in his pocket all game, really. So, as you say, you've, the Van Dijk is the key. You've just got to keep yeah. Van Dijk fit. I think Van Dijk with anybody would work. And even against one of the lower league clubs, I suppose, you could then do a, a Gomez or Matic with Fabinho. Yeah. And I think I think what, you would. What, what I would say, though, Mark, is that I wouldn't want to see Fabinho play there too often because I just think... If you look at the way Liverpool play, the way they're able to press high and hold that high line is because they have two quick, mobile centre-backs who are very good in one-on-one situations. You look at Fabinho and he's a different type of play. He's not as mobile. He's a bit of a front-foot defender. You know, He likes to step in and make challenges. Um, and yes, all those challenges were correctly made against Chelsea. You know, Every time Werner tried to go past him, he tended to to nick the ball off him but I don't think that's always going to be the case with him he is that kind of player he'll stick his foot and he'll dive in you know he likes to go and win the ball um he's a front foot kind of player and he's not always going to get away with that I don't think against certain teams or your players with pace and stuff like that so I wouldn't like to see him play there too much because it does affect the dynamics of the defense a little bit because as I said those two centre-backs the reason they're able to press that high up the pitch um close teams down um, and play almost two against two at times because their two centre-backs are so brilliant. Um, they're mobile and quick and can defend one-on-one situations and read danger quite well. So when he plays there, he's a little bit different to, to the other centre-backs, but he's done well so far. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. No, but I agree. I'd, I'd much rather see him in midfield. And I think, as you say, we're only having the one left back last year when when Robertson didn't play. The main game that sits in my head was the derby, the f- the first game back after lockdown. When you haven't got that outlet on the left hand side, the whole yeah. the whole team changes. We do play a very certain way. I think the back four is normally always the same back four. The front three is normally always the same front three, and it's the midfield that sort of change. And even then, they all come in and do a very similar job to whoever they've replaced, but your likes of your centre-backs, your full-backs, your front three, the, it's not even necessary to drop off. It's just that they are a different type of player that then, that then come in and you need to do play a different way. And that seems to affect us more than just the player missing, if you like. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. But, 
But anyway, yeah, he say he did phenomenal that game, and that was a, a great to get a 2 0 win away at Chelsea. So then we did move on to the Carabao Cup, which I think all fans would sort of agree is the fourth on the priority of the trophy <laughs> list after after the league, the Champions League, and the FA Cup. Yeah. But again, it was it's a trophy that we've won more times than any other club. I think still is that, that's still our record. And I think the the way we sort of play and Klopp does seem to favour the smaller squad and and doesn't want to go. It is only realistically the the type of games you can see the likes of Nico Williams, Curtis Jones getting their start really. And they more than uh, fair enough. It was Lincoln away, and no offence meant to Lincoln, but they did take their chances. Minamino and and Jones in particular with the two goals each, but. What what do you think about well first the Lincoln game and the Carabao Cup in general? Um, yeah, I hear a lot of talk about you know people saying why are we still play in the League Cup and get rid of the League Cup and stuff. But for me, as you say there, Mark, it's an opportunity for these youngsters to get some minutes. And you know, in a, in a Premier League that's so hectic and there's so much pressure in football now with regards to winning games, winning leagues, qualifying for the Champions League, qualifying for Europe. It's made it a lot more difficult now for managers to develop young players and, and blood young players into the first team. You know, fortunately, we've seen two or three over the last few seasons at Liverpool where they've got into the team and done really well. But you know, there's not many managers that are able to do it because they just feel like they're under so much pressure to get results and they almost feel that they don't have the time now to develop young players, which is sad. So for me, the League Cup is going to become a competition where yeah you know young players are able to to get opportunities to perform and 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 develop and and get vital kind of first team experience so you know i i wouldn't like to see the league cup shelved i still think it's an important competition of course look teams are even down to league 1 and 2 now you're seeing teams making like eight nine changes in these games and stuff um which probably doesn't help for the maybe the whole quality of the competition and stuff like that but i think from a you know, a young player point of view, um, I think it's really important. So, you know, you look at Liverpool last week and I just mentioned there, Nico Williams coming in, um, Harvey Elliott coming in. Um, these kind of youngsters, it's an opportunity um, to, to mix with those, some of those first-team players and gain valuable first-team experience. So, um, I'm still all very much all for the competition. And I, I thought it was, a, it was a good result. You know, as you said, I thought they were very clinical on the night. Liverpool had a lot of possession. Um, not like a host of chances, but the chances that they had, they were just very clinical and stuck them in, in, in the back of the net. And, you know, I always like seeing young players being given opportunities. So to see, you know, Curtis Jones again um, impressed, you know, as I mentioned, Harvey Elliott, Nico Williams at right back, um, the boy Williams, who played centre-half as well. Um, you know, it's, it's great to see these young players coming through and giving opportunities and great to see the manager showing faith in them, sticking them in. And that's how you find out whether they're good or not. You know, you Definitely. You see if they can sink or swim, isn't it? So Definitely. And from our Welsh point of view as well, it's great to see Nico getting the games and unfortunately he did have a bit of abuse on Twitter afterwards, yeah, which that, yeah. you get, unfortunately. I thought he did all right and... To me, we're recording this before the Arsenal game tonight, but I think the three of the most important ones to me, I know Simicas is injured tonight, would yeah. be sort of Nico Williams, Simicas and Adrian getting the game times. Again, there was there was rumours all over the weekend that Alisson was injured and he was going to miss the Arsenal game. 
And I know it was only Lincoln, but again, at least Adrian did have that 90 minutes under his belt. So he wouldn't be going in cold if they were needed. And I know you've also you've always got the Milner that you can drop in and play either side as fullback. But again, I think that affects us and slows us down a bit. So I would rather a like-for-like yeah. replacement. So getting Simakas's minutes, getting Nico Williams's minutes. So if he did, if they do need to come in, they've got minutes. They're not going in cold, and they are ready yeah. to play. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Go on. Sorry, Matt. Sorry. I was just going to say the frustrating thing for me must be from an outsider's point of view. If you look at like a. A Minamino, even if he was to get a hat trick tonight against Arsenal, <laughs> he's not realistically going to play on the weekend, is he? Realistically, that front three is going to play. It's a vital league game. We're going to want to win the game, and that front three is going to be the front three. So, well, I don't know, as a, as a player, what do you think about that? That even if you go in and, and put in a stellar performance, you're still yeah. unlikely to break into that that 11 the club's got. But when you're winning yeah. the Champions League and then the league, it is a tough team to break into. It is, um, and it, it must be difficult for the fringe players because you look at that Liverpool starting eleven, and not too many of them get injured either. Particularly that front three, it's amazing how how fit they are, how little games they actually miss. Um, and you look at the way that Liverpool played, the intensity that they play with, the pressing and stuff. You you think that they'd maybe pick up a lot more injuries than they actually have. So I think you have to give credit to the medical staff that they have there and the condition that they keep those players in. Absolutely phenomenal, but. From a fringe player point of view, yeah, it, it must be hard because you know your, you know your game time is going to be limited. You know you're going to be getting maybe ten, fifteen minutes here and there, and then playing in the cup games. And as a forward player, you rely on, um, you know, you need a run of games to get yourself going, I suppose, and get yourself into form and understand the, the attacking players that you're playing with. So it must be very difficult for the likes of Minamino. You know, Jota's going to find it difficult as well. Where you know, you are sitting on the bench uh, most of the time and you're coming on for 10 minutes here and there and trying to affect games. It's, it's very difficult to kind of get your confidence up. But but on the flip side of that, um, I think, you know, with these players kind of coming in, um, it's great development for them as well. You know, the likes of Minamino, they're still learning. They're coming to Liverpool, which is a, a huge, huge club, Jota. It's a big kind of step up from where they've been before. So, you know, at the minute, for where they are, I think they're quite happy to kind of be in that situation. Um, as time goes on, maybe that might change and the frustration might come in and you know you might want to be playing more. But I think at the minute, uh, for where they are, the progression in their careers, a lot of them, um, they're probably happy to be doing what they're doing and they're learning and they're developing and um, enjoying being where they're at. And I think that's one of the main strengths of the manager as well, Jurgen Klopp, I have to say, you know, I've never heard any kind of player come out, particularly a fringe player or a player who's not playing, come out and talk bad about the manager or frustration about not playing. You know, everybody just seems to be happy. I don't know how he does it. You know, I think as a manager, that's one of the most important traits, one of the most important things to have. Can you keep the fringe players happy? The starting 11 tend to look after themselves, but it is more so about keeping the rest of the squad happy, the ones who are not playing. And Jurgen Klopp seems to be unbelievable at that. You look at the players coming off the pitch, you have an eye against Lincoln, you know, the likes of Shaqiri and stuff, who hasn't really featured too much. And, you know, they're still giving the manager a big hug and there's a big smile on their face and stuff. And it's just, everybody just seems to be happy there, even more so the players who are not playing, as I say. So I think that has to be credit to the manager but also credit to those players as well. You know, the attitude that they have and the mentality that they have, they all understand their roles and responsibilities. And that's what makes Liverpool um, a stronger a club, a stronger team as they are. 
yeah, I think it, Klopp's man management sometimes does go under the radar. It sees obviously all this big hugging and chest pumping and waving to the crowd and things like that. But you have, as you say, you've got a player like Shakiri there that's played all across Europe and he's a very good player and he's not even on the bench most match days now in the league with we're back to just the seven subs. But he came in and put a shift in like that, put working hard. And that's what you want, really. I think, from my point of view, winning certainly helps that. I mean, you look at United back in the, the late 90s where they had the Sheringham, Solskjaer, York and Cole, the four, and only two playing. And all four of them seemed happy. Winning yeah. helps. And, and they do get their chance. But it's just it's good to have that depth, that, depth, that strength, because you never know when you're going to need it. And you do want them to be hungry and on their toes. My only concern, if for somebody like Curtis Jones, that... I thought he was fantastic against Lincoln. And to be fair, every time I've seen him play for Liverpool, he's been fantastic. But that midfield, you look, we've got Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum, <laughs> which was his go-to last year, if you like. Then yeah. you've got Ox, then you've got Keita, and now you've added Thiago. To break into that is going to be very, very tough. And you just hope that they don't get frustrated at the lack of opportunity and look to go elsewhere, because we do need that, 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 especially this season, with the amount of games in such a short space of time, there is going to be more rotation than ever before. And at the moment, they all seem happy and hopefully that continues. Yeah, it's a difficult one for Curtis Jones because he's, I think he's stuck in between almost two scenarios, really, where Jurgen Klopp, I don't think, is going to allow him to go on loan because he's he's too good a player. Um, he's seen him developing. He's starting to get more game time. I don't think Jurgen Klopp's going to want to let him go on loan. Um, but then, as you say, the midfield area is is very strong. There's lots of options there. He is versatile. I know he could play across the front three as well. But you know, with Jota coming in, Minamino, obviously the the front three that that plays every week, that's going to be difficult. So he's kind of he could. There's a possibility he could get frustrated a little bit because you know I can't go out on loan. You're not letting me. But then I'm not getting enough game time here. So. That is a slight way with him. Obviously, he has just signed a new contract, so I think he's happy enough. I do think he will get more game time this season, albeit I think it will be more substitute appearances. I think you'll see him um, coming on more regularly from the bench. Um, but, you know, I think he has shown one or two signs, little signs of frustration um, in the last season or so because he just wants to develop. He wants to get better. When you get a little taste of first team action as a player you just want it again and again and again you want to experience it more so um, I think he'll be one that they have to watch because he is a you know he's an outstanding talent um, and someone who I think you know over the next couple of seasons can break into that Liverpool midfield and become a Permian fixture so um, you know Jurgen Klopp will just have to watch him and, and manage him will probably a little bit more maybe than one or two of the other young players but um, you know he's a super talent I'd love to see him actually you know, over the next couple of seasons, really kind of make that midfield spot his own. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's certainly one of the better ones to come out of the academy that we've had, obviously, Trent. But at the moment, Curtis is definitely the next next cab on the rank, if you like. It's just that midfield is so competitive <laughs> and so hard. But yeah. I think he's definitely one that will start against Arsenal tonight and hopefully puts in another solid performance and keeps going. Which brings us on to the last, of our games in September, which was Monday night, the 3-1 against Arsenal. And I genuinely think you take that Robertson howler away, which are very few and far between, to be fair. That's near enough the perfect 
performance from start to finish. We were we were at it. We were on them. It was ruthless. And again, they're a supposed team that's improved magnificently since Arteta came in. That's going to be challenging for top six, if not top four. And to put them to the sword like that at home, it just it's another statement performance, really, wasn't it? It certainly was. Um, and I think, you know, there's one or two Arsenal fans coming into this, kind of thinking that Arsenal might be able to do something because, obviously, they started the season well. You know, Arteta's got them playing better. Also, they beat Liverpool back end the last season. They beat him in the uh, Community Shield. So, I think one or two Arsenal fans were kind of getting a bit carried away going into this one. And I think that probably actually fueled the fire for Liverpool a bit as well. Those, I think those two losses to them, you know, would have would have hurt Liverpool a bit as well. So I think it just would have added a bit of fuel to the fire and given them a bit more motivation to just let Arsenal know as well. Um, you know who the who the top dogs are in the league. And as you say, it was a it was another statement performance. They dominated from start to finish. I I couldn't believe my eyes when Arsenal actually went in front because Liverpool was so dominant. They they couldn't get out of their half. Arsenal the one time that they did, um, they end up um, getting a bit of a lucky goal. Um, but but. For me, you look at Liverpool and we can talk about um, their style of play, their individual players that they have. The biggest strength for me that sets them apart from anyone else in this league is is their mentality. They are mentally stronger by far than any other team in the league. And you just see the way that they kind of reacted then to that kind of setback. They didn't worry. They didn't let it affect them. They kept playing their football, got themselves back into the game quickly. um, And... You know, really, it could have been more than three. Really, um, I think Arsenal were. You no, know, they they came for the draw. Really, they knew they couldn't take Liverpool on in a game of football. They sat there, hoped that they could, you know, see it out defensively and maybe pick up a point. And and Liverpool just just ran all over them. Really, it was a perfect performance. Albeit, you know, I don't know if you saw <laughs> Roy Keane, you know, um, after the game and saying there was a little few sloppy moments. And Jurgen Klopp caught the end of of that and. Um, and, and took Roy Keane on in a, a little bit of a slagging match, saying he thought it was yes. a perfect performance. Um, and I thought it was, you know, they, they dominated the game, dominated the game, um, could have could have had more goals, you know, defensively solid, um, didn't really give Arsenal anything. I can't remember a Bamiyang touching the ball, to be honest with you. That's how dominant Liverpool were. Um, and I, I thought, yeah, again, another another statement performance with some really good individual performances within that as well. Yeah, I think if you look at the Arsenal team, he's certainly improved and there's still quite a way to go. I think that they're certainly their strongest point is that front three. I think Williams a very good yeah. Premier League player. He's yeah. been around for a few years now. Lacazette's, I know he missed that chance, but a, a very good striker. And Aubameyang's one of the better players in the league. And just still, when you're 1-0 down, playing that high line, almost two on three, really, just leaving yeah. Van Dijk and Gomez it's to brave. deal with that from three. It's just It's brave. And there are going to be the odd occasion where we're caught out with it, but it's risk-reward almost. And yeah. when you're pressing, that you've got five, six of our attackers pressing them in their box and down by the corner flag. But more often than not, it does come off and it does work. And as you say, Van Dijk backs himself against anybody. I was, I was there, fortunately, a couple of years ago, that game against Tottenham, when Sissoko yeah. broke through on it. And you just you you just weren't even worried. You just know, more often than not, he will deal with it. And as Arteta said after the game, if, if you get past him, then Van Dijk's there, he gets it, and he just pings it 60 yards back up the pitch. Yeah. And, he's, and we're he's, in it. He's ridiculous, Matt. He's ridiculous. He's... He's one of the best central defenders I've seen for for many years. He's, there's no weakness. His, his only weakness is himself. 
when it becomes too easy and he gets a little bit casual now and again um, and might make the odd mistake. But he there's there's no weakness in his game. You know, his passing range the other night against Arsenal was was ridiculous. The amount of crossfield balls he hit to Salah and you know, all those balls just seem to find their target. You never see him shank when out of play. He's he's quick, he's physically strong, you know, good in the air, good on the ball. He's a leader. He just he just has everything. He's ridiculous. And he allows Liverpool now to play the way that they want to play. I think when you saw Jurgen Klopp initially come into the club and we were playing this kind of razzmatazz rock and whatever he called it, heavy metal football, the game was too open. Um, you know, our centre-backs were mobile enough and we would get done kind of on the counter-attack and you'd see a lot of 4-3 games and stuff. But now we're able to condense the play now. We're, we're able to get the front three in the game a lot more because we're able to press high, win the ball back quicker um, and we're just stuck on the halfway line. We're condensing the game now into the opposition's half and we just put teams under so much pressure because we just keep recycling the ball. When they try and clear the ball, one of the centre-backs is always there and and eventually, you know, something has to give. It's just relentless pressure and we're just doing it now all in the opposition's half whereas before, when we didn't have the players, the game was too stretched the gaps were too big and teams were able to counter-attack Liverpool and, and hurt the spaces. But they, they're just not leaving any space now. They've just condensed the game into a much smaller area. And it's, it's much easier for the players now to, to go and press because you're pressing over shorter distances now as well. And maybe that's why they're able to sustain it now for, for longer periods in games and maybe why you, maybe you don't see many injuries from the team because... They're playing so close together now and compact as a team. Those distances now to press are a lot shorter. And a lot of that is down to, obviously, the two centre-backs that they now have and the full-backs who are brilliant are able to push on as well and press. And they're just a, just an unbelievably oiled, well-oiled unit. It's, it's, it's brilliant to watch. Brilliant to watch tactically. It really is. Um, so you would have, you would have fancied a couple of games at centre back oh, with Van Dijk I'd next to you. Then I'd love to play in this team. I would. I would love to play in this team because um, you know a lot of the work gets done in front of you as well as a centre back playing in this team. You know what you have to deal with at times can be difficult because you find yourself in some one on one situations and your decision making has to be good and stuffed out your positioning. But the work that the midfield and the front three do in front of the defenders well to to nullify situations before it actually gets to the, the you know those back players is unbelievable as well. So, you know, I would love to to play in this team, love to play for this manager, Jurgen Klopp. He just seems like a brilliant guy as well as you know brilliant tactically and stuff. And and I think I'd love to play along Van Dyke alongside Van Dyke because I was a bit more of a Joe Gomez kind of player. You know, a little bit smaller for a centre back and. I was I was quick. I relied on my pace and you know, kind of reading of the game and stuff. So, so I would love to, yeah, I'd love to play alongside Van Dyke. Van Dyke. He makes any defender look look a million dollars, doesn't he? So, uh, he well, does. fifty million dollars, I should say. So, uh, well, we've got until Monday for the transfer window. So maybe get your kit on and your boots out <laughs> over the weekend and see if you can be that fourth centre back for us. I could, you never know. I could do a job there still, you know. <laughs> Definitely. So, obviously, a, a perfect month for Liverpool really played 4-1-4. So, I think if we start with the goal of the month, I think that one might be a bit easier than the player of the month. So, go on, what was your goal I of the know, month? I don't know, you know. I don't think it's as easy as you think. Um, See, I'm thinking Moe's against Leeds. I think that, that was just a... smashed in the top corner. Yeah, an impeccable well, finish. That, well, that, that's mine for me, I think. Yeah, that, it, it was between that one for me 
and Curtis Jones's goal against Lincoln. Um, the I think it's the second one that he yeah. scored. I know it takes a slight deflection, but what he does beforehand when the ball's played into him and how he spins the defender and then takes it onto his right and bends it in that far corner. I think I have to go with that one. I'm going with Fair Curtis Jones, the second that's goal a, against Lincoln. Yeah, that's a great I suppose I discounted the league yeah. a bit, but Minamino's there was quite a few one. good goals Minamino's there. Minamino's yeah, there was, as well. there was a few the good Kiwi's goals in that kick. game. So, uh... good, good old Shaq, as you say, you're, you're a bit <laughs> without talking Lincoln down, it was only Lincoln, but again, the way he brought Jones brought that ball down and just the composure and calmness yeah. in to, yeah. to switch it onto his right foot and bend in the top corner. Yeah, that was a that was a great goal. So that's a good shout. Okay, so what about your player of the month then for, for September? Yeah, this one's difficult. This one is difficult. Um again, Salah, I thought was in with a shout to be fair um, you know, he looked so sharp start of the season but in particular that kind of Leeds game getting the hat trick I think he's been very good um, Fabinho I think has been good um, obviously the performance stand up performance you know slotting into that back four against Chelsea and and, and pocketing Timo Werner um, but I'm actually going to I'm going to go with Mane I think fair enough go with Sadio Mane um, I mean this guy for me um he is, I think, alongside Kevin De Bruyne, they're probably, you know, and, and then Salah maybe a close third. I think they're the best players in the Premier League. The way he's kind of developed the Liverpool, um, his all-around game, you know, the, the important goals that he scores. Um, you know, obviously, the goal, the you know, equaliser against Arsenal the other night. Um, he's he's just so important to Liverpool. And his consistency is just, it's just frightening. He turns up every single week. Um and you know what you're going to get from him. Um, he's just turned into uh, turned himself into a world class player, and I just think he's hit the ground running again. Start of the season, and it is going to be obviously a, a big, big player for Liverpool now going forward this season again in in retaining the title. So I can't look past Sadio Mane. I don't know about you, Mark. I don't know who you went with. Uh, I'll, 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 that's a great shout, Mane. And again, I think they highlight it on Sky that that one against Chelsea where he gave a ball away, just the anger on his face, and he jumped yeah. up. But then it was straight away, split second later, he was on it. Yeah. It was him pressing Kepa that got him the second goal. And again, on Monday night, I don't think that was a red to begin with. I think that was nah, a yellow. That was nah, a right yellow. position. But you yeah. could just see how fired up he was yeah. for that game. And he has carried it off from last season. And there was numerous times last season where he either got, got the first goal to put us 1-0 up, got the equalising goal, or if it was 1-1, he got the 2-1 goal. That that Villa game away last year, it was just, yeah. he dragged us over the line. And he has done that. So many times the last few years, he has been, as you say, he's been impeccable for us. I think I'm going to go with one of the names you mentioned. Though. I think I'm going to go for Fabinho. I think okay. coming in, yeah. it's coming in cold, where he didn't start the Leeds game, which surprised me. I thought he would have been a shoe in there. I think Henderson was possibly rushed back a bit too yeah. soon. He didn't quite look yeah, fit. He didn't look but fit, did he? Yeah. No, he came off a bench there and settled in. And then Chelsea again. I, there was everybody was a bit nervous when they saw the team sheet come in, but. He gave such a composed performance there. And then on Monday, I think he just he almost ran the show for midfield. He didn't let Arsenal have a sniff. He was up and at them in their faces. And he does just let everybody else go. And then instead of just yeah. the Van Dijk and Gomez being left back, I think you've got Fabinho in front of him, shielding them as well. And his reading of the game is just spectacular. He just doesn't let anything past him. And as we, he hasn't obviously scored yet this season, but he's got that in his locker again that he can bring yeah. forward and bang one in from 20, 35 yards out. Yeah. It's, 
what a player he is. So I think, much as I agree, Mane had a fantastic <laughs> month. I am going to go for Fabinho. I think it's a good shout. Just, a good shout. but it's good that we can have this debate. And as you say, there's Van Dijk hasn't even got a mention. It's almost just I know we made that mistake against Leeds, but it's just sort of a given now that. Mm. He'll come in and do that. Allison, he's saved the penalty. Again, if that penalty goes in, yeah. 20 minutes to go, Chelsea could come back and get that 2-2. Lacazette scores that goal. He just he just makes key saves. And again, I think we're almost complacent of it now because he's done it that often. You, you take him for granted a little bit, but he's been fantastic as well. And just the team looks so much different when he's in rather than Adrian. And it's... I've nothing against Adrian, he's a decent keeper, but just Alisson, he's got got this aura about him that people seem, unless I ping this in the top corner, it's not going in, he's going to save it. And strikers just seem to rush. I think that's what happened to Lacazette, I think, because he missed the one before where he was offside, yeah. that was playing yeah. on his mind. And you've just got this big black wall standing <laughs> between his black top and there's just nothing to aim for, nothing he's to aim at. He's too good looking. People don't want to score. He's too good looking. He's too handsome. <laughs> but I think, I think it's just... It's just taken for granted now how much better we are with him in goal. It's just, as you say, it's. I heard it mentioned years ago with, with Schmeichel and De Gea and De Gea is it is pumped that you you just feel like you've got to put it right in the corner or it's not going to score. They're going to save it, yeah. and I think Allison's got that aura about him now, and and that's a great place for us to be in. That if they do break past Fabinho and they get past the defence, that they've still got this big rock in our goal to get past as well and, and not many teams do it thankfully no he's a, he's an important part of the of the process as we said we've just spoken about obviously the two centre backs and how important they are with what they do but you know Fabinho in front as well but if you haven't got a good goalkeeper behind who's you know starting position is good you know comfortable with the ball at his feet um, you know when the because as you say Liverpool will give up chances you know even last season there was a lot of teams that kind of got in behind 60% of the time teams get caught offside because they don't time their runs. I don't know why. Um, but there will be times when teams get in and that's when you need a good goalkeeper who's obviously off his line, sweeping things up. And as you say, you know, he doesn't always have a lot to do, but when he's called upon, you know, he makes those kind of key saves that can kind of keep you in games and stuff. So um I think those are the best goalkeepers really, the ones that are able to kind of keep their concentration when they're you know, they can go maybe 70 minutes and not have to do too much. And then one key moment, you know, they, they make kind of a vital save and, and, and just don't make many mistakes. You know, I think it's obviously the top goalkeepers, the least amount of mistakes you can make. I think obviously the, you know, the better you are and you don't see him kind of make too many. And he's, you know, him and Van Dyke have, have just allowed Liverpool to be able to, to do what they do now, how they play every single week. Definitely, definitely. So let's move on then to October and have some predictions for October. So tonight we're recording this on Thursday morning. We've got Arsenal again at home in the League Cup. So what do you think for tonight then? This this is a tricky one because obviously with, with the League Cup, you don't know who's going to play. You know, Arsenal could make a host of changes. Liverpool, I'm sure, make a host of changes. Um, but look, I, I have to obviously go with Liverpool. Um, I think they'll... He'll do the double over them um, over the space of a few days. Um, I'm going to say Liverpool to, to win 3-1. 3-1. I think I'm going to be a copycat there and say the same <laughs> score as the other night. My only reservation is, I think, Arsenal might take it a bit more serious yeah, than possibly. us and go a bit stronger than us. But even then, you, you've got the likes of surely Jota will start, Minamino will start, Jones yeah. will start, Nico yeah. Williams. I, th- I think we'll have enough 
enough to do them. And then Sunday, we're up against High Flying Villa, played 2-1 to Aston Villa yeah. away, who looked very, very good on Monday night, albeit against Fulham, a Fulham team that looked like they're going to ship three or four goals every week at the moment. But yeah. a tricky away game. So what are you thinking for that one? That's a, this is a tough game, actually. Yeah, as, as you say, Mount Villa start the season well. They look like they've made massive improvements. Um, obviously, coming off the back of lockdown last season, where they had a good run to keep themselves in the Premier League. I think they've bought a lot better um, in the summer with their recruitment. Defensively, they look a lot stronger as well. Um, but this one will be a bridge too far for them for me. I, I can't see them beating Liverpool. Um, Obviously, it was a, a tough assignment for for Liverpool uh, last season, kind of going there. Um, and I think it will be a tough game. But I just think the attacking threats that Liverpool pose going forward, I don't think Villa have been tested too much defensively yet in their, in their opening games. And I think um, Liverpool have too much for them in, in the forward years of the pitch. So I'm, I'm going to say Liverpool to win this one 2-0. People I think this is set up. That's what I have to throw down <laughs> as well, too, now. Great minds, mate. Great minds. Definitely. The, the game last year, the thing that irks me most about that was that Fabino goal that was disallowed when his armpit yeah. was offside. It's yeah. not that I'm it's bitter ridiculous. or anything, but, yeah. yeah, it's just things like that. And, again, I think they have started well, but it's, it's a bit of relativity of who they've mm. played and, and whatnot. They've added Barkley this week, which I think will be a, yeah, a good sign for them. I think that'll be a very good. And obviously Grealish is starting and playing well, but I think mm. touch wood as of now, there's no injury, so it will be. Speaking of, speaking of Firmino, Mark, sorry to interrupt. What no, no, go for it. On, on him at the minute. I'd like to see a bit more from him. I think at times he he's a bit casual. Do you know what I mean? Like he'll you know give the little five yard pass, he'll give it away, and I, I know what he does for the team and his work rate and all that and stuff. But I, I don't think he's quite on his game in a minute. I'd like to see a, a, a big performance from him on the weekend against Phil. I don't know if, I don't know if you agree with that. No, you? yeah, he's he's still a vital part of the team, isn't he? And everybody calls him the system and he he does all the work to let Mo and Mane get all the headlines and yeah. the goals. But no, I don't think he's playing as well as he has done. I know it's, it's not necessary about the goals, but just no. one home league goal last year isn't really enough. I, th- I think the best thing that can happen to Firmino is Minamino coming in. Yeah, I think that that's his natural position. I think that's where he'll thrive most for Liverpool. So him coming in and hopefully Minamino plays tonight, scores a couple tonight, and that pressure will hopefully, hopefully do best. Bobby yeah. good and, and make him click again. It's still, yeah, I'd still like him to start for now, but I think, yeah, it's, it's certainly not going to do him any harm to have a bit of competition to keep him on his toes, so to speak. But yeah, no, he's not the Bobby of two years ago, but he is still he's still vital to what we yeah. do. But who knows? And then we have the international break. So touch wood, fingers crossed, no injuries, no problems over that. And then back to a derby. Again, Everton have started the season firing. Yes. Another great win last night. Calvert-Lewin's on fire, but it's the warrior thoughts for a derby. We haven't had a good record away at Everton. The last few years we've... Mm. Only got draws. So, what are you thinking for that one? The, the, oh, this is this this is a tough, tough game. That'll be a tough, tough game, as you say. Mark Everton have started the season ever so well. Um, again, their recruitment's been good. The players that have come in. I know. I think Alan got injured um, last night. I think Denny in the, the Carabao Cup. They got a couple of injuries with Charleston. I think went off. So, um, if they want to take their time getting back, that would be much appreciated. <laughs> Definitely. Um, 
but they look good. They've changed the system. They've gone to a four-three-three, as you mentioned. Calvin Lewin is is banging the goals in. He's been on fire, um, so he'll be a difficult uh, player to to contain. You know, Liverpool will have to defend well. Um, I could see this one possibly being a draw. Actually, I, I don't know if you put that one yourself, uh, but I think this will be a tough game for Liverpool. Yeah, I, again, maybe red blinkers on. I, I think a lot of it will depend on on the international break. And I don't think it's been announced yet when it is, is it? It's, it's the weekend that is 17th. But if I could be pushed back to Sunday afternoon, Monday night, I think that would help us definitely yeah. to get all the players back. I know Klopp likes to have his players around and for a, for as long as training as possible. So hopefully that's not the Saturday lunchtime kickoff and we're, we're favourable with Sky's choice there. I think that'll be one that irks Klopp, that his record there isn't great. I think that the only one he's won there was that one where Mane scored Mane in the scored. last in the yeah. last minute. Yeah, the last couple of years we've drawn there, and again it's been poor performances. Really, I think. Hope for Ancelotti again. He's a world class manager, but I think him coming out and playing and trying to win the game where they're full of confidence might help us. Mm. And they will try and play a bit more, and we can catch them on yeah. our break with, with our pace. And hopefully, Thiago's back by then, and and in the team, and he can dictate for midfield and I've got us down to sneak it 2-1 okay okay yeah they, um, that's a very good point you make there Mark I have to say because last season under Ancelotti they were very rigid and defensive you know four, a narrow kind of 4-4-2 four, four, and they made it difficult for teams to kind of break them down whereas this season they've gone a lot more expansive they play with three in the middle they're looking to build up you know possession through the midfield and stuff like that and, and that might actually suit Liverpool as you say um with their pressing game, if they can win the ball back and with Everton playing a bit more expansive, there'll be a lot more space for Liverpool's forward players, hopefully, to exploit. So um, I might change my prediction now. You <laughs> said that. I'm going to go Liverpool to win 1-0. Fabulous. I will take that. And then we move on to Sheffield United, scheduled for the 24th. Now, this one might have a Champions League game in between it. So the Champions League draws happening this afternoon. And the first round of games are right looking at the moment, the 20th, 21st of October or the 27th, 28th. So there might be one, but we obviously don't know that yet. So it'll be Sheffield United at home who have, I predicted this during lockdown. I thought they might suffer from a better second season mm. syndrome. Yeah. And people have now sort of become familiar the way they play with their overlapping centre-backs and people would be a bit, get on to them now if you like and their form since lockdown has been really poor so a home game against them I'm hoping we can really lay down a marker and and get a good 3-0 win um yeah you'd like to think so um I think the both games against Sheffield United last season were were difficult um and as you say for those reasons really a newly promoted team you're not quite sure how they go about things and, and they did very well um this season, they've had a poor start. Um, you know, problems at both ends. Like they didn't score a hatful of goals last season, did they? But they were defensively very good. Uh, this season, they've been conceding goals and still have the problem of not really scoring too many. Um, uh, recruitment remains to be seen as well with the new players they brought in, how they how they improve them. But I, I think they'll be okay this season. But I don't see them getting anything from this. I think Liverpool will will have too much from obviously at home again. Um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe with the start that they have, um, I've had Sheffield United, um, they'll obviously be looking to get points on the board, but 
you know, nobody wins at Anfield, do they? When's the last time we lost the game at Anfield? So, I know, it's, I, it's I a long it's time ago, isn't it? Years or something. So, um, yeah. I, I can't see Sheffield and I being that team uh, to break that mould. So, um, I'll go with the Liverpool win. Um, I'm going to say uh, 3-1. 3-1, no problem. And then the last game on Halloween at the moment it would be West Ham at home again. Another side that have struggled, really, from from lockdown really only just survived and yeah. haven't had the best of starts to the season their manager's currently having to self-isolate and manage which will obviously be <laughs> over by then but yeah again a West Ham at home where the type of team we should be putting put into the sword really and I think I'm going to go bold for that one and go 4-0 4-0 Oof. I think so. I think if we carry on as we are we've got the potential to give somebody a real hide in I think West Ham yeah. they don't look strong at the back by then, Rice Rice could well have gone to Chelsea. That'll just weaken them further, and I think they they really are there for the taking. Well, yeah, I, I would expect Liverpool to win. Um, I was actually at the West Ham um, game on the weekend against Wolves, and they were very good. Wolves were poor, but West Ham were very good, as were they were against Arsenal the week before that, where they didn't um, get the result but performed really well. So. You know, they have changed the system. They've gone to a three at the back. Uh, they're playing a 3-4-3 three, three kind of system, which is seems to suit them more with the personnel that they have. Um, so I don't think it'll be as easy as as maybe we some people might think. Um, I'm going to go Liverpool. Um, I think they'll get an early goal and probably then go on yeah, to get two or three. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say 3-0 to Liverpool, not four. I'm going to say three. <laughs> Fabulous, that sounds good to me. Well, that's almost the end. Again, just like to thank you for your time and for coming on with us today. And another podcast that you're involved with that I love listening to is Ellis James's Feast of Football. So I'll give you an opportunity to give that one a little plug if you want. Oh, thank you very much. Um, well, first of all, thanks, thanks for having me on. Um, no problem at all. Because uh, as you say, like normally when I, if I do podcasts or shows and what have you, um, it's normally talking about you know, the Premier League or whether it's the Championship or talking about my old clubs and stuff. So to have the opportunity to come on and actually talk about, you know, a team that I've supported from childhood is has, has been really fun. So kind of thank you for that. Um, and no problem. Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm actually doing the Ellis James Feast of Football podcast after I get off the off this uh, podcast with you. So, um, so, yeah, it's myself, Ellis James, you and Roberts, and we basically cover... Everything that's Welsh football, so Cardiff, Swansea, Wrexham, Newport, um, and obviously you know we'd be talking about um, Wales as well with the international call-ups and the, the games coming up over the next kind of the next few days. So um, yeah, so um, I don't know actually where you can tune into it. So I think it's on iTunes. It's on yeah, I get it from um, my podcast yeah, app, and yeah, it is a great listen website as well. So yes, yeah, it's, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, we we have we have fun. So. Um, it's no, a good you. listen, and, and from my point of view, as, as I do with all podcasts, really, when Liverpool have won, it's a lot better to listen to. So, obviously, <laughs> with Wales being on a good run at the moment and all things looking quite rosy from Wales, it's, it's definitely worth a listen for ever. Oh, Wales fans much. out there, no problems at all. Well, yes, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And let's see how we got on with these predictions. We'll see. My predictions are normally shocking. If you've, if you've heard me on the podcast predicting on the Ellis James podcast, I normally get them. <laughs> awfully wrong so um, we'll see let's see how these go let's see how these go brilliant well thanks very much for your time and I shall be back at the end of October to see how the predictions went and see how Liverpool are doing then thanks very much
Social Podcast Network.